Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood. Super excited about the episode we have for you today featuring Pat Williams, who I will introduce in just a moment. But before we get to that, I would love for you to take a few moments and leave a rating and review. When you leave a rating and review, it helps other people find the podcast when they search for student ministry content. It also gives us the opportunity to hear from you on what you think of the podcast. So we read all of those, and we want to continue to make this podcast better for you, the listener. So if you do that, that would be fantastic. So I first heard Pat Williams as a youth pastor at a student leadership university event years ago. Uh, And he made such a mark on me, specifically in the area of reading and personal leadership development, that when we came across a topic like today's in talking about building a team and developing that team and developing yourself, thought who better to have on the podcast than Pat Williams. So Pat is a basketball Hall of Famer, co-founder of the NBA's Orlando Magic and former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. He has authored more than 100 books. Uh, He has been the general manager with NBA teams in Chicago, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Orlando, including the 1983 world champion 76ers. Pat has also been named as one of the uh, 50 most influential people in the NBA and married to his wife, Ruth. They have 19 children, including 14 adopted from around the world. Pat, we are really grateful that you would spend some time today with us on the podcast. Well, thanks, Ben. Nice to hook up with you. Nice to uh, greet all of you in uh, beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I'm looking forward to our chat. Well, we wanted to talk about teams today and uh, on the podcast and in uh, different things that we do with LifeWay students, like our video, our YouTube channel with through videos and some blog stuff. We've been spending uh, some time this month talking about teams. And so uh, I've heard you speak before through some conference things that our friends at Student Leadership University do. In fact, the first time I heard you speak was uh, as a youth pastor, I brought students to Uh, Student Leadership University 101, and your session that time was actually about reading, uh, and and it was an incredible session. It changed my opinions on a lot of things and actually got me pushed into a habit of reading, but I've also heard you speak on teams, and through your roles in the NBA, we thought there's no better person to talk about how to build a team and the components of a team than you. Uh, So I would love to start off uh, just talking through how to identify the right players for a team. You've been a part of many NBA drafts and have uh, drafted some pretty notable players in your time at the Magic and other places. So I would love to hear from you, Pat, on how to know who the right players are and how to get them on your team. Well, when you think about any team, whether it's in sports or business or in the church, uh, I am convinced that the number one ingredient uh, on any successful team is simply this. Uh, You've got to have outstanding talent. Hmm. Uh, There has never been a team in any field of endeavor in the history of mankind uh, that did not have outstanding talent. Now, uh, the obvious reaction to that is, well, duh, anybody knows that. But I'm not so sure they people do. Uh, let's face it, uh, talented people 
uh, can, um, well, they can have issues. Uh, talented people can uh, be a little difficult to work with sometimes. Uh, talented people don't always walk down the middle of the road. Uh, they are oftentimes way off to the left or the right. And uh, you, you can't win without great talent, but not every coach can coach great talent. Hmm. John Wooden made that clear uh, years ago. Coach Wooden said, uh, you know, the key to my success at UCLA was talent, 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 he said. But he also stressed that uh, not every coach can coach talent. It's not easy uh, to coach some of these uh, mega stars and, and what, what they have going on in their life that's uh, not always public and so forth. So first of all, you've got to have outstanding talent. Now, I, I want to offer three caveats uh, to that talent. Caveat number one, is that talent coachable and teachable? I've been part of NBA drafts, well, probably about 50 of them, and uh, worked with many, many legendary coaches. And at the moment of drafting, particularly that first rounder, uh, we've studied all the physical tools, but inevitably the coach will say, if we take this kid, guarantee him big money through his contract, will he listen to me? Uh, does he have a teachable heart? Does he have a teachable spirit? And many times uh, I've seen where you pass over the greater talent in a draft uh, because you're just uncomfortable about whether um, the coach can get through to him. Hmm. So, that, so that's the first caveat about talent. The second caveat uh, that I want to pass on is, uh, does this young person that you're bringing on your team – do they understand your their role on this team? Do they accept the role? And can they function in that role? Let, let's face it, uh, in, in, in basketball, all of these young guys that we're drafting have always been the greatest since they were about five years old. They were, they were the top stars wherever they were. And they're going to come on to an NBA roster uh, where they may very well not be the top star. Mm -hmm. In, in fact, it may take years, if ever, that they're going to become the, the centerpiece. And every player wants minutes on the floor. Every player wants money. Every player wants shots. At the, they want all of those things, but not every player can. It, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, you've got a 15-man roster, and they were all great players now. Some of them are going to have to sit. Some aren't going to play at all. And, and if they don't accept their role and, and live that role, Boy, they can tear a team apart. Mm. They can just destroy a team. And so that's the second caveat. Does this talent uh, understand the role that is there for him or her? And do they accept that role? And can they live with the role? And then there's a third caveat to great talent, and it's simply this. Uh, what kind of a teammate is this young guy going to be? Well, years back, we drafted a guard from St. Joe's in Philadelphia. His name was... Uh, Jameer Nelson. He was our point guard here for, well, a decade. Little guy and had had quite a career. And and he once was asked about uh, his goals in basketball. And he said this. He said, my only goal in basketball is to be the best teammate that anybody has ever had. Uh, I've thought long and hard about that statement. And and I as I studied Jameer's career and and what he did, he lived up to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you talk to any of his teammates back in that period, they would tell you 
that Jameer was probably the best teammate I ever had. Uh, the things that he did to, to help build the team and to uplift the team and encourage the team. And it was, it was remarkable. And, and so that's the third caveat. What kind of a teammate uh, is, is this guy going to be that we bring aboard? Now, I want to offer two other thoughts here in this whole area of, of talent. Uh, whether it's a, a church team or a business team or whatever. Uh, number one, hire very slowly. Mm. Hire very deliberately. Uh, organizations get in trouble when they see an empty office or a lonely desk. And the thought is, boy, we got to fill that. Yeah, that that empty office doesn't look good. We got to get that position. We got to get somebody in there. And they rush the hiring process, and that's where mistakes are made. Uh, so what what I've learned is, um, you want more than one person doing the interviewing, maybe three, and and you want three different locations, maybe a, at a restaurant, maybe on the golf course. Uh, you want to have a varied view of this person. You can never do enough background checks. You can never do enough uh, psychological testing. Uh, you just can't. So, so take your time. You know, your organization is not going to fall apart if it takes a couple of extra months <clears throat> to make sure you're hiring the right person who is going to fit. And, and I'll tell you, the worst feeling in the world is, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks after you've made this hire, one of your best people comes and knocks on your door. <laughs> and then they say, uh, do you mind if I close the door? Mm, okay. Eh, it's probably not going to be a good session. And then when they say, um, I need to talk to you about this person we just hired. Mm. it's not working. Oh, boy. And, and, and your thought is, oh, why weren't we more deliberate? Why didn't we take our time? We went too fast. We didn't do enough checking. Oh. And, and that leads to the second little piece here. Um, sever quickly. Mm. I don't like the word fire. Uh, let's just use the word dismiss hmm. or, or, or sever. Let's just leave it at that. Because if it's not working, what, in other words, what you've got to do eventually in this personnel area, uh, do it now. Hmm. Because in most cases, if, if, if there's a poor fit, it's, it's not going to work out. And, and you're better off just addressing it and saying, I can't get this square-sided person into this round hole in our organization. We're trying everything. We're trying to sledgehammer it in there, and we're trying to file it out. We're trying everything. Uh, and, and nobody's happy, and it's not working. And the person involved is probably better off uh, eventually going somewhere else where it, it, it would be a better fit. So <clears throat> uh, those are some immediate thoughts on uh, – this whole area of talent, uh, that's the first ingredient 
that it takes to have a great team. There's never been a great team in any field of endeavor that did not have outstanding talent. I have a follow-up to that for you that I'll get to in just a second, but I just want to say that student pastors, this is such great wisdom as you consider whether you're sitting in a seat where, where you're hiring people onto your team or you're recruiting volunteer leaders, because the reality is, even in a recruiting volunteer setting, you're hiring them to be on your team, so to speak. So uh, what this, the hire slowly and deliberately, take your time in that process to interview those volunteer leaders, to get to know them. Everything that Pat has said here applies on both sides of that coin, whether it's volunteer leaders or you're hiring a staff. Additionally, Pat, one of the things that stood out to me as you talked about uh, what Jameer Nelson said in that quote about, I'm going to be the best teammate I can be. The interesting thing about student pastors in the majority of settings is they are leading a team and at the same time are also part of a team. And so they have to be able to play in both of those realms of, yes, I have a team of people that I lead, but I'm also responsible in being a teammate to the other people on my church staff, to the pastor that's hired me. Uh, And so that's a, I think oftentimes we can get so focused on the I'm leading a team part that we forget about the importance of the teammate that we also are with the rest of the staff. Well, there's truth to that, uh, and, and particularly in, in the area of student uh, working with young people. I, we, I've certainly observed this in the many, many, many years I've, I've been working with student leadership down here in Orlando. They do a marvelous job of, of spotting talent, young talent. I mean, those kids start coming to be start that training process when they're 13 years old, mm-hmm. 14, 15, through those teen years, through those school years. And uh, Jay Strack and his staff, are, boy, they can spot them. They can spot the good ones. And, and what those young people do, starting as young teenagers, uh, many of them now are uh, – well, they've been doing it for 30 years. Many of those kids are now in their mid-30s, maybe pushing 40, and have gone on and had wonderful careers. But it all started uh, with, with training. And that, and that brings to mind the next ingredient that I've observed uh, that, that every great team has possessed. Uh, and here it is. You can't have a great team without great talent. Secondly, There has never been a great team in any field that did not have outstanding leadership. Hmm. And and we could uh, we could do the whole afternoon on leadership, but everything rises and falls on leadership. It always has. It always will. It'll always be a topic of intense interest in this country. Uh, Every single newscast, every newspaper, I mean, all they do is evaluate leaders. I've, I've thought about this. Whenever you turn on the TV at night or pick up your newspapers, and I, I'm still a newspaper reader, uh, they are evaluating NFL coaches or they're evaluating college football coaches or they're evaluating NBA coaches or baseball managers. Uh, they're evaluating uh, political leaders. They're evaluating business leaders. I mean, our whole world revolves around the study of leadership. 
And I've been doing that, well, for many, many decades now. Uh, I've got a new book that has just come out called The Reluctant Leader. And uh, so we, we uh, all love to look at leadership through different uh, perspectives. Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, there has never been a great leader that was not a visionary. That's the first thing I've learned in, in my study of leadership. Uh, visionary leaders see things that others don't see. Uh, if you can't see it before you see it, you'll never be able to see it. And so visionary leaders have the ability to see way down the road before the rest of us. Uh, they see in vivid technicolor, while the rest of us might see in grainy black and white. Uh, they see in a wide scope. And then they have the ability to, to turn that vision into reality by working backwards. In other words, they see the finished product and then they work backwards, putting the pieces in place to turn that vision into reality. Ronald Reagan put it this way. He said, to grasp and hold a vision is the very essence of successful leadership. So when you have a vision as a leader, first of all, it, uh, it keeps you focused, it keeps you fueled, and it helps you finish. You want, to hear the, you want to hear the second piece that it takes to be a great leader? Absolutely. You've got to be able to communicate that vision. It's one thing to have a vision, leaders, but if you cannot communicate it effectively, uh, let me tell you what's going to happen to that vision. Nothing. Mm. Not a nicked. Not one thing's going to happen to that vision. And, and so to communicate a vision is so vitally important. And, and so um, we could do a whole session on that, but I do want to say one thing, and I stress this uh, with the young people every year with student leadership, uh, you have really got to work and really master uh, your verbal skills because leadership generally gravitates to the man or woman who can talk. Hmm. That's generally who we elect to office. That's generally who gets the CEO post or generally who becomes the, the high school principal, uh, the ability to communicate verbally in front of other people. Uh, great leaders uh, have really worked at that. They've studied, uh, they've analyzed, they've uh, really studied the great uh, verbal communicators of history. And uh, they, they take it seriously and they want to really be good at it. And I encourage those teenagers when, when I'm with them down here to start now, uh, start working on it. Uh, you know, you don't want to postpone that, that uh, ability to really be good on your feet in front of other people. That, that lures people, that draws people. Uh, when you hear a young politician, for example, a young man or a young woman who just, just rocks an audience, just rocks them. You come away saying, mm, <clears throat> that young person's going places. Mm. Oh, that I, I, I like that kid's young man's future. I like that young lady's chances. Oh, I'm, I'm going to put some money on her. Oh, did you hear her in there? She had that place absolutely mesmerized. And, and so uh, great leaders have understood the importance of communicating verbally in front of other people. They work at it. They study the great ones. They uh, 
And, and you know how you know how they all you know how all the best communicators communicate with stories. Hmm. <laughs> We're all hardwired to uh, to remember stories, not powerpoints. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, Mr. Lincoln in his yarns, John F. Kennedy in his quips. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and his, uh, his, his fireside chats. Winston Churchill and his powerful oratory and, and his, his phraseology. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Uh, that was Winston Churchill in Fulton, Missouri in uh, 1946. Uh, those words still reverberate today. Mm. Um, and then you had the, the great communicator, Ronald Reagan, who, who did a combination of everything, quips and stories and quotes some of them were actually true, you know. <laughs> Sometimes Mr. Reagan got confused about what might have been history and what might have been something in a movie, but uh, but he could bring it. And that's why we still remember him so fondly today. I tell I tell people all the time: save your stories, hmm. write them down. We're hardwired to retain stories, not powerpoints. Thank goodness the world is not made up of atoms; it's made up of stories. And we've all got them. Everybody's got a story. Everybody, some have hundreds of them. But we love to, storytellers, you see, have a huge competitive advantage in, in the world because we're drawn to them. Mm. We, we can't get enough of their stories. So I tell you, people, save your stories, write them down. Don't trust your memory. Keep them on file because uh, you'll, they'll come in handy. You know, you'll, you'll have just the right moment when you want to drop a story, you know, to emphasize a point. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Pat, I'd love to hear uh, you talk about, because I know, obviously, we've talked about here your history in the NBA and your work there. I also know you are a lover of baseball, a, a student of history, prolific writer, I would love in this category of leadership for you to talk about the importance of a leader studying other leaders in their own personal development. Well, let me put it this way. If you had a choice of having lunch today for two hours with General Colin Powell or read his two uh, autobiographies, re read the autobiographies hmm. because um, he has thought them out. And he has proofed them and he's tweaked them and he's added more and he's buffed and polished. And then he's gone over it again. And he he is he he's wanted that manuscript to be perfect before it was released. Uh, and, and I go back and, and here's uh, often what I say. You read the right five books on any one person and you will become a world leading authority on that person. So if you read the right five books on George Washington, you will be an expert on George Washington. The same with uh, Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant and John F. Kennedy and Coach Bear Bryant and John Wooden and the late Tommy Lasorda. And uh, you'll be a world leading authority on 
Ronald Reagan and uh, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Jack Welch. And uh, I mean, that's the point I'm making. Uh, you, you can, and, and I say, uh, study the great leaders of history. That, that's why, uh, Ben, we talked about at the beginning of this whole issue of reading. Mm. Uh, Harry Truman, uh, who was our only president of the last hundred plus years, who didn't go to college, was, was probably sharper than every, all of them because he was a voracious reader. He was, he was an absolute student of history. He, he was um, relentless in his, in his desire to learn. And the best way to be a lifelong learner is to be a lifelong reader. So that's why I encourage people of all ages, and I, I, I try and get that seed planted with young people, uh, devote an hour every day to read. Not your schoolwork. You know, this is beyond that. Uh, it's an hour when you can read uh, material that, that is of great interest to you. In my case, it would be the history of baseball or uh, uh, NBA books. It would be uh, Civil War history, Revolutionary War history, World War II history. It would be presidential biographies. It would be Christian inspiration. Be aware of what books are coming. Mm. You should be in a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million at least twice a month because books are coming out all the time. New ones. And, and you want to know and be aware of, of what, that's why I, uh, people say, well, what's your happy spot? We all have a happy spot. It might be uh, a um, Starbucks. It might be a fishing hole. Uh, it might be the beach. Um, we all have happy spots. My happy spot is a Barnes and Noble. Hmm. It can be any anywhere I'm traveling, anywhere in the country. You know, if I see a Barnes and Noble, we screech to a halt, <laughs> and, and and in we go uh, to see what's what is new, what has arrived. And I love Amazon. I love ordering books that way. But but you can't browse, right? Uh, that that you can't leaf through, and you don't uh, you don't see. Uh, oh my goodness, there's a new book out. I didn't know that one was coming. Daryl Strawberry, his new book comes out tomorrow. Hmm. And I saw a, pl- a little blurb about it in the sports section in the New York Post. And I've got that on my checklist. You know, I want to read that book. So you need to be a student of, of books, what's coming and what what's new and what's out there and what's going to be coming. And so uh, I, I tell people, get serious about your reading. Get serious. And that brings up the huge question. What about, Ruth's not here, what about novels? (laughs) Well, we have a little friendly disagreement. I call them them storybooks. (laughs) But they make Ruth happy. And, uh, but I I, I don't, there's only so much time you've got. And so uh, I'll pass on fiction, you know, not that it's evil, but, uh, you know, so I encourage people to to read real books. And and I like the book in my hand. There's nothing wrong with books on tape or books on your cell phone and all that. I but I like uh I like to hold the book. Mm. See how I'm doing. They see the progress I'm making. And I, I always have a pen in my hand. If I come across something that uh looks meaty, you know, I'll mark it and fold the page down and then 
later on Xerox it and then clip it and then file it. So when it's time to write a book, I've already done all the research mm. over 50 years. And people ask me, well, how do you write all these books? I said, just a little bit every day. Mm. How many are you up to day. right now? I, I know we said over 100, but you're, you're well, well one, beyond one, that. 115 has just come out this week. It's called The Reluctant Leader. 116 will be out in May. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. And it's, uh, I think, one of the most important books we've done. It's, uh, it's really a study uh, of the leaders during the Revolutionary War period. Many of them famous, many of them not. Numbers of them were women. And, and what did they do as leaders that allowed our country to come into being? And without their leadership, we wouldn't have a country. Hmm. And, and so uh, that's been a fascinating study for us. And uh, I'm excited about that book. Uh, we got, uh, Nick Saban did a blurb for us. Uh, Brian Kilmeade uh, did the foreword. And uh, we, we've had a, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, did a nice blurb for us. So uh, I'm excited uh, that, that book coming up. And in the meantime, uh, the new one out now is called uh, The Reluctant Leader. It's amazing. And this was my case way back. How many people are just reluctant to step up and fill a leadership gap? I can, I can hear them. Hmm. Oh, I'm so busy. You know, I, I, I just can't take that on. And there's so many other people who would be better. No, I'll, no, I'll be glad to help. But but I, I just, uh, well, I just wouldn't sleep at night, you know, if I, oh, please. Yeah, you get and eventually, in many cases, it was certainly in my case, way back, uh, that, that, that person who is pushing you says, I'm not taking no for an answer. You're the right person here. Get it done. We need you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> and now the now the now the pressure's on. And and here's what I have learned. Uh, people get a little taste of success. You know, whether it's revitalizing the the little league baseball program or or our, our youth program at church or. And they get a hold of it and they take it now. Now they really want to do it well. And, and they plug along. And the next thing you know, they begin to see results hmm. and they begin to get feedback and they get words of encouragement and words of praise. And now all of a sudden they're thinking, mm, I'm kind of liking this. Uh, I'm kind of liking this leadership thing. This is pretty cool. I, Oh, well, what's another project, you know, and, and eventually the bug bites. And uh, and you're beginning to see that I, I'm uh, God has more things for me here than just schlepping along with the troops. He wants me to be a leader. Hmm. I've never viewed myself as a leader, but now I guess I guess I'm becoming one. And and, and now I really want to learn about it. I, I want to be the best leader I could be. So I, I've got to uh, really work at this now, and I'm getting serious about this. And I'm, that's how it happens, I think. Yeah. That, that's how leaders become leaders. Or, or somebody sees something. You know, a, a high school principal may say, young, young lady, I see something in you. I, I know you're just 16 years old, but I see great leadership potential in you. you your, your future is very bright. 
and we're going to be following you with great interest. Well, that young lady may not, may not have thought of that, but now all of a sudden a high school principal says this to her and she goes home and tells her parents. And all of a sudden she begins to look at herself differently. Mm-hmm. So, In other words, we never know what we say to a young person, how that may register with them or the we don't know the impact. Uh, One of the books we're working on right now is the uh, the power of empowerment. And and what a few well-placed words can mean in somebody's life. I've collected hundreds of stories over the years. We're, We're just a. A a, a quick little word from somebody impacted that life forever. Hmm. Just a a word, just a word from somebody, maybe a young basketball player and the the older guys, Michael Jordan says, I've I've been following you. I like the way you play. Hmm. You know, I've got a bunch of that stuff and uh, we're going to, that book will be on a little little bit down the road, but uh, it's the power of empowerment and, and leaders Adults, we have that power with our children, our grandchildren, our uh, young athletes, young young people in your church, Sunday school classes, youth work, tremendous impact. Pat, I'm sure that leads into this last question I wanted to make sure and hit with you, and that's around the idea of coaching. You've worked with many coaches, hired many coaches specifically in the area of a coach developing the talent of a person, helping a team come together. What have you noticed over the years that makes a coach able to develop a person and develop a team in coming together? That's an interesting question, Ben. um, I've spent the last six years working on a book called Who Coached the Coaches? Hmm. And I've asked literally hundreds and hundreds of football and basketball and baseball managers uh, one question, uh, who is the key person in you becoming a coach? And I've got this massive amount of material that uh, we're going to have to, we're going to get published one day. It's, it's a big project. Um, Inevitably, uh, the number one issue or, or that I've, I, I've gotten feedback is the key person was my dad. Hmm. Uh, he was a coach or something, you know, key person was my father. Hmm. Strong. Second, second one would be my high school coach. Not as much my college coach, my high school coach uh, saw something in me and I saw something in him. And I looked up to him and I wanted to be like him. And uh, that was that was very, very strong. Um, but maybe maybe I need to go one step beyond. I've written a series of books <clears throat> about John Wooden, Bear Bryant, Bobby Bowden, um, Tom Osborne, Vince Lombardi, uh, Chuck Daly. And, and I've been asked, are there, are there common threads here? Well, yes, there are. Uh, all, of those co- all of those men, legendary coaches, at heart, they were all teachers. Hmm. 
And yes, they were teaching X and O's, but what they were really teaching was was life, uh, life skills. And while you were playing for them, yes, you were you were in awe of them. You were in fear of them to a large degree. Um, but as soon as you left the school, as soon as your eligibility was up, the relationship changed. And 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 these players said, "Well, I thought I could, I thought I could call Coach Wooden John, you know." Or, <laughs> I tried it once, and I, I was so scared. I said, "That that's the end of that." And 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 Bear Bryant's when I did that interview with hundreds of these guys, they all referred to him as Coach Bryant. I never heard the word bear, never coach Bryant, like it was one word, coach Bryant. Uh, so there was tremendous respect that these coaches had built. Uh, they were teaching lifetime lessons, getting these players ready for life. And these players who I got to, who now would be sixties <clears throat> and seventies, uh, th- their position was, uh, I hear Coach Bryant's voice every day. Hmm. I've heard his voice every day my whole life, my whole adult life. He never stops talking to me. All that stuff back in Alabama, you know, when I was, you know, a cocky little teenager, you know, <laughs> well, now, now I see what he was doing. Bobby Bowden the same way. Vince Lombardi. Now, now Coach Lombardi in Green Bay, these guys were now adults. Mm-hmm. But I talked to them. Many of them have passed away since the book came out. But they all said the same thing. He, uh, Vince Lombardi was teaching his life. He wanted us to be successful long after our football careers were over. And they said the same thing. We we still hear Coach Lombardi, uh, still hear his voice. And they never called him Vince. <laughs> no, it was always Coach, mm-hmm. Coach Lombardi. Wow. That's the ultimate tribute, I think, that an athlete can pay to his um, to his coaches, your, your, your coach. It, it's a title, um, an important title. I think that's such a significant thing for youth pastors to hear. Just this idea that, student pastor, your words last in the hearts and minds of the teenagers that you minister to long after their teenage years. Your influence remains. The influence of those that you bring on the team to minister to them. The the influence of the volunteer leaders. Those words that they have, the model that they leave for them, just like these coaches, lasts long after their specific time with you in those teenage years. Pat, I want to say thank you uh, for spending this time with us today, for investing in student pastors. I want to thank you for uh, investing. We've not met uh, face-to-face until this. Uh, I've been able and to have the privilege of sitting under your teaching several times, and so I want to say thank you for investing in me from a distance and so many other leaders through uh, Student Leadership University and the, and the role that you play there uh, with Jay Strack and Brent Crow and those guys. They're good friends, and so uh, I want to say Go thank ahead. you for investing in me uh, and for other student pastors through this time on the podcast today. Ben, nice to meet you this way. Uh, 
Uh, we've had a we've had a good visit, and uh, look me up when you get to town. I love it. And uh, listeners to the podcast, I want to make sure and uh, help you remember Reluctant Leader is Pat's most recent book. I'd also recommend uh, just do a Google search and find some other ones. He's written 115 of them. So look into those. Specifically, I would point you towards Character Carved in Stone and Read for Your Life. So if you're one of those people who needs to be convinced that reading is good for you, Start with Read for Your Life from Pat Williams, and uh, you'll be convinced after after that one. But Reluctant Leader is the most recent. And uh, Pat, thank you for today. We really appreciate your time. Nice to see all of you. Take care now. This has been another episode of the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.